You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. I finished grades, Dan. That's always a very exciting time for teachers. I feel accomplished, like all this work has gone into creating, you know, as best as I can, a well, a score and a few comments as to my students' progress. It's always satisfying when you can attach a very specific score to a student's learning, right? <laughs> I feel <laughs> terrible about this. You have the weird semesters, right? Like they come back after the break and you finish the semester then, right? Yeah, yeah. I wish that we ended before like before Christmas, but instead, yeah, we go through final midterms are always after MLK Day, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but you know what's coming up. Uh, what's next? Well, parent-teacher conference. Of course, of course. So what have your experiences been with parent-teacher conferences? I like them. I like them because I get to learn more about, you know, the parents and it's interesting. A lot of times I get, you know, parents of students who do really well. So it's just kind of, I feel like I'm reassuring them, but every so often I feel a little bit creative. And so I send an email to students. I'm like, Hey, why don't you come to the conference? Because really I feel like they're kind of involved in their grades We need them in the conversation. It it almost creates like a he said, she said thing, but I'd just much rather have a conversation with the student there. There's a lot of aspects of school where I feel like we don't include students in those conversations. You know, I taught primarily high school seniors for for most of my um, teaching years, and very few students came, very few parents came to the conferences, but the conferences felt so repetitive. It was a lot of students who were doing well, and I would just be like, yeah, your student's doing well. And then a few parents who were concerned would show up and there's there was a couple occasions where we'd work on a plan, but again, it didn't make a ton of sense. And I just didn't feel like I had a good structure for changing their experiences through that. So yeah, I always thought about how that was kind of an ineffective process for me. Fortunately today, we're bringing in a guest really? who can really speak to this issue. I know. I get so oh, excited my. whenever we bring in a guest, which is every <laughs> single podcast. Eventually someone will be really disappointed when we just blabber on on for the whole podcast about our thoughts and then we're like that's the end no guest <laughs> so we would like to welcome in the very distinguished 2016 tennessee teacher of the year kathy whitehead welcome to the podcast thanks guys it's good to be here can you tell us a little bit kathy about your background in education Sure. So I kind of came to education in a very roundabout way. When I was in high school, I was one of those super overachieving kids, you know, and when I graduated, the only piece of career advice I got was don't go into education. So I did not I know it's really sad. So I went to college, got a degree in history, thought I was going to go to law school, ended up staying home with my kids. And then I worked for a dental practice management firm until I was about 30 middle-ish and then kind of had a whole moment of, you know, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life and decided to do what they told me not to do, which was to get into education. So I went back and got my master's in elementary ed and a reading specialist endorsement. So I've been teaching sweet little third graders in rural West Tennessee for the past seven years. 
Wow. Where in Tennessee? So I am south of Jackson, which very few people know where Jackson is. So I'm really I know where about Jackson halfway. Is. Okay. I'm about halfway between Memphis and Nashville. Oh, wow. I have been to Nashville one time. Oh, Nashville's awesome. But Memphis is great, too. And you need to visit East Tennessee. The Smoky Mountains are gorgeous. So I highly recommend our state. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your teaching experience, what grades you've taught, what your experiences have been like over, over that time? Sure. So I have taught third grade all seven years, same school, same classroom. And it's really interesting. I think my teaching has changed because I've grown over time. And I've kind of had, a, I think, a rapid growth as far as my teaching. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is early literacy. I know that if we do not get these kids hooked on reading by the end of third grade, it's not likely that they're ever going to be. And I'm also really passionate about student voice in the classroom. I was in a meeting with our commissioner of education, Dr. Candace McQueen, and she had organized an assessment task force and she had included a high school student on the task force. And they were talking about testing stress and how that affects the kids. And, and the student spoke up and said, you know, it's not that I get stressed about the test. It's that the teacher's stress about the test stresses me out. And that was like a really a big aha moment for yeah. me because I thought I never thought to ask my kids. I felt terrible. So from that moment on, I tried to turn as much of my classroom over to the kids as I could. And I always try to get their feedback on what's working in the classroom, what's not, what's working as far as instruction and what's not. And I tell you, the best feedback I ever get is from my kids. You know, I was just talking with my pre-service teachers um, who were graduate students coming back to become teachers after they got a different undergrad degree. And we talked a lot about a listening student thinking last night in our class. And really one of the big things I, we talked about that you can learn is you can learn so much for changing your instruction. I think we often make assumptions about the processes of student thinking, right? Whatever topic or subject we're teaching, we just assume that the reason they got to an answer is what we think it is. But once you start listening to students, you realize, oh, no, they actually had a totally different thought process. And so I gave them some examples. And I think the thing that really stood out to me is the teachers who were just patient and just sat there and listened to kids and didn't say anything and didn't interrupt and didn't interject with the answer. And I was like, man, I would have interjected like 10 times. I need to learn that skill. I do too. And sometimes I feel like I need to almost physically step back a little bit, almost out of their line of sight. And the conversations are just insane when, when, I, when I get out of the way. Today, you're, you're here to discuss student-led conferences. Can you tell us a little more about what that is and how you go about doing it? Sure. So the whole idea came about uh, a few years ago, and we had done the traditional parent-teacher conferences at school. And the way we do them is it's like one evening after school for three hours and the next morning for three hours. And of course, you know, I teach elementary, so I've got 23 kids, but that is still back-to-back -back 15 minutes. And I was tired, and I had been saying the same thing over and over and over. And two, I kind of felt like I was the one on the hot seat for their performance. So if Johnny wasn't performing, I felt like I was the one being held responsible for that work. And that coupled with the earlier realization I'd had, I just thought, you know, I mean, we're talking about learning, but the main player in the conversation is not even here. So I started doing some digging and my best friend teaches next door to me. So we, we put our heads together and we said, why don't we let the kids run the conference? 
And so we kind of had to do a little bit of backtracking. The next year we started from day one, but the way it works is the kids start tracking their own learning from the very first day of school. So they have a binder and in it, they keep everything from test scores. They take, they keep writing samples. And, and of course, these skills are taught over time. They also keep digital portfolio. So I use a really good app on the iPad. Which app? It's called Seesaw. It's actually totally free, but they can take a picture. I can voice annotate their work. They can take a video of their work. And it's really good because it the parents can go in, sign up for a free account. So as soon as I approve an archived piece from the kids, the parents get an alert on their phone and they can go in and see it. Gotcha. Um, and then right before conference time, they go through and they reflect on their learning. They reflect on their behavior and work habits. And we rehearse. So there's a little script that they will follow. And I mean, if you can picture these little eight-year-olds and they will role play with each other. But the really cool thing is, is the night of the conferences, the parents come in and, you know, I have the the standard horseshoe table that all elementary schools have. And the kids sit where the teacher usually sits and the parents sit in front. And like I said earlier, I moved to the side. So I'm a little out of the conversation. But the students present their learning and they will go through and they will show their growth and they will show their work samples and their writing samples. And they ask questions of their parents. And together they go home and they set new goals for the next grading period. And those goals are brought back to school and they're posted. And then we continue the process. And it is so neat to see. I mean, the parents just eat it up. And we were also tracking participation. So our participation in parent teacher conferences went from about 47 to about 93% that year. And the kids came dressed up in little coats and ties and, and, and they just, I mean, they took it very seriously. And when they saw that process, I think it was after that first conference, their ownership of their learning just took off in the classroom and they would, you know, they, they learned to archive pieces of work that were maybe not up to their standard. And then they would want to archive a piece that they knew was up to standard so they could show their growth. It just really changed the whole culture of our classroom. I love it. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty awesome. It's so smart. I feel like the the reflective piece is something that is lost uh, in something that I would love as a high school teacher to work in because I feel like you go through this, you know, our mic, the course, but you're not looking at what skills you're developing in in how, you know, how you're growing over time. And so I feel like by the time you leave, you never see that unless you do something like the the archiving. And I just love the whole concept of having them them lead it. I would have loved that as a kid and I can only imagine. Yeah, they like they eat it up. And I think, you know, going back to our discussions in episode 13 when we talked about authentic media, I mean it's nice for the work you're doing to feel like it has a purpose. And it seems like this doesn't only allow for you to reflect on what you're doing, but it gives your work purpose. You're documenting it and you're putting it together into a portfolio that you're going to share with others. And then you have like that formal moment, which I think kind of allows students to be proud of their work. Now, I'm going to take the devil's advocate point of view, right? And I want you to tell me, of course, these kids weren't very hard on themselves, right? They just said, I'm great and I've done everything perfect. And uh, Miss Whitehead should give me an A, um, right? What, what was the actual experience? What, what did students bring to the table? They are actually harder on themselves than I am. Um, and one of the biggest pieces we have is a self-reflective piece on their behavior habits. Um, we've used the leader in me, the kind of Stephen Covey-ish type um, social emotional learning part. 
And so they go through and they rate their work habits and almost a hundred percent of the time they will give themselves a lower rating than I would have given them. So on that piece, and I, um, I think I included it in some of the documents that are, that are available on the notes that they rate themselves on things like I persevere in the face of challenges, or I always do my best. They rate themselves and then I rate them too. And so both of those ratings are presented to the parents and, and we will both talk about, you know, what, what evidence did I see in my work that supports this rating or, you know, what is it that I need to work on to bring that up? They are really, really honest. And even when they self-score their writing, it's usually right on where I score it to. So, and I, and I think that that goes back to the philosophy of it is that we often don't trust our kids. You know, um, we don't trust them to take charge of the learning or to take ownership or to do the right thing. And what I found is if when I give them the reins, I'm always... I guess, embarrassingly surprised at, at how ethical they are and how truthful they are in their self-assessments. One of the things that I, I try to do every quarter is I do have them reflect on their participation. They rank themselves on like, you know, their, their effort they put in, how, you know, how often they participate, quantity and quality. And it, it is a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing. And students are, they do seem to be critical of themselves. Uh, which is good. Sometimes it's really, you know, it's good to be critical. And sometimes they're, you know, some some students are, are not critical at all. But then it's good to like then go back and, and, and talk about it with them, I found. Uh, it's just, it's a fun conversation. This is true. They do. And I don't know, you know, you think it would be, it would be interesting to try the student-led conferences to the high school level and compare notes with the elementary level and see, you know, is that a developmental thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm just always amazed at, at how they, they look at their own work. And, and as you said, sometimes the conversations, I can see those little wheels turning when they come back in the weeks that follow the conference, the basis of the conversations that we've had, you know, am I persevering through my work? Am I really archiving a wide variety of work samples and, and you know, work that I'm proud of and work that I'm maybe not so much proud of, but that I know is going to improve over time, so... Can you talk a little bit more about how you structure these activities? For example, do you create the rubrics? Do you create them collaboratively with your students? How do you determine like the setup for conducting and, and starting this whole process? Well, we start from day one and we take quite a bit of time to distribute the binders and the kids get to take time to decorate them. And I mean, we, we do. We invest a lot of time at the very beginning of the school year. Um, and that is one of the challenges of student-led conferences is that it is a lot of prep and it's a lot of prep over an extended period of time. Now, you're not as worn out that night. So it's, I'd say, an investment of time. But we talk together about, there's a lot of graphs in their in their binders. So, you know, we'll graph things like, you know, math exams and we'll put a copy of the exam behind it. As far as the rubrics, I actually develop those because when they're incoming second graders, I just don't know that they're quite ready to dig that deep into it. So I develop the rubrics that we talk about it. And at the end of the conference, the kids reflect on how well they think the conference went. And then I do make adjustments to the format after that. There are a couple of ways. And if you look at the research on student-led conferences, there are several ways to actually go about conducting it. One way to structure the actual conference itself is to, you can have multiple conferences going on in your room at one time. So you may have, say, four centers. The students and the parents are there. They have the materials. The kids have rehearsed. They know what to do. And they just kind of take over. And you just kind of circulate through the room. Um, the advantage of that is, is that you can get a lot of conferences in in a short amount of time. And I think it would probably work well for 
kids who are a little bit older who don't need your scaffolding quite as much right then. I do it where it's one student and one one parent or parents at, at a time, um, just because I'm not quite sure that they've never done it before. I'm not sure about their comfort level. So we do it just one at a time. It takes, obviously, a little more time to get through all of the conferences, but I, I do think it makes them a little more comfortable. Another option that I've heard is if you're on a schedule where you have two conferences in a year, one in the fall, one in the spring, and this is new to you, to have a traditional parent-teacher conference in the fall and then to do a student-led one in the spring, it gets them a little more used to it. I actually do student-led both times just because the kids love it. And like I said, it really increases the parent participation. But as far as structuring it, like I said, they've got that little script. And so if they're nervous, and some kids are, they just know to go down and check off the little check boxes as they go. But they're all materials that I've developed. Could we could we try to try one of these out? Can you be the student in, in um, I guess I can be a, a parent? Absolutely, sure. Did you just say you're the parent of our guest? <laughs> well, I mean in this in this scenario, so this way we can uh, so people can hear it. Sure. Okay, so what we do is we would sit down and I would say Dad, thank you so much for coming to my conference tonight. And remember, this is on a script in front of me. I would say I'm going to share some of my work with you, and we're going to talk about it. And at the end of tonight's work, we're going to set some goals together for my learning. So are you ready? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Right. So here is my binder. And the first thing I would like to talk about are my reading scores. So as you can see, we've been working on sight words, and I've mastered the first seven sets. So as part of my goal, I'd like to talk tonight about what we can do to master the next three sets so I'll have all my sight words mastered by third grade. Do you have any questions about that? Uh, yeah. What is a sight word? I don't, so, te- I don't deal with little kids. So okay. So sight words are words that may, they're, they're often seen in, in reading and, um, and they maybe do not follow the typical phonetic patterns. So it's best if they are seen, if they are read as soon as you see them, you shouldn't have to sound them out. Okay. Yeah. So how do we do that? I'm back in my dad. So Mrs. Whitehead will send home a list of words. And what we do is we can put them on flashcards or we can practice these one breath box activities she has. And if we just do it five minutes or so a night, I think I'll have them. Okay. I'll be there for you. Great. So the next thing I'd like to talk about is my fluency. And Mrs. Whitehead times my reading once a week. And so as you can see, I've grown from 50 words a minute with five errors to 90 words a minute with only two errors. That's so fantastic. That's really I think so too. So I'm really proud of how I'm growing there. And the last thing we're going to look at are my comprehension scores. I'm struggling a little bit with comprehension. And I think part of it is that I need to make sure that I'm really paying attention as I read and that I'm going back and asking myself questions. So maybe we can talk later on tonight about um, ways we can read more at home and help me improve these scores. Yes. And so the, the conversation would just continue like that. We would probably go through math in a similar fashion. At the end, I would say... These are some behaviors that I've scored and Mrs. Whitehead has scored them as well. And as you can see, I put my, I rated myself highest on areas like I'm organized and I always have my materials. My lowest score was that I'm, um, I persevere when things get hard. I tend to just want to give up. So that's one thing that Mrs. Whitehead said I need to work on as well. Do you have any questions about that? No, that sounds good. At what point do I take you out for ice cream? Because I feel like that probably (laughs) is where this is leading. Yes, because at this point, the kids are going, oh, baby, I'm just so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the very end, I would say, 
this is a sheet that Mrs. Whitehead has provided where we can create some goals together. So we can go home, do it in the next couple of days. When I bring it back, we put it on the wall and this will stay on the wall until our next conference. And we can see how I've done as far as meeting my goals. Thank you so much for coming to my conference, Dad. That's what I love. I love that, uh, that action part at the end and how, you know, you create the goals together and then you put it up so everyone can see. I feel like, so right now my students are going through the research paper. And so I, I've, I've sent a note home to the parents and, and I asked them just to talk with their kids about their research, just so they can get used to it. And I feel like parents sometimes need, um, they just need to know what, you know, what to do. Like, and I think that's a great way to do that. So that's awesome. Well, and at the end too, there's a reflection piece for the parents. So they give me feedback. There's a reflection piece for the kids. So they give me feedback and there's a thank you note. So the kids write a thank you note to their parents the next morning for morning work. And that goes home just thanking them for coming to the conference. But as you said, and I think part of it maybe is because I was a parent before I was a teacher. And I can remember going to the curriculum nights and I thought, you know what? I trust you guys. Just teach my kids and tell me what I need to do, right? And I would be called in for conferences and they would say, well, you know, Greer needs to work more on, you know, paying attention. And I said, well, I can tell him to pay attention, but what what else is it that I can do? So maybe part of this came from, you know, kind of flipping that understanding a little bit. Sounds like a really powerful example. My biggest concern is parents who are just trying to end the conferences early to get ice cream as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, it was a fake conference, Dan. Come on, cut me some slack. Well, and some of it too is eight-year-olds. I mean, they're so stinking cute, right? And I my, do think it, it's a little hard for parents to take them seriously sometimes. And to be fair, Michael's way older than eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are there any challenges that you run into? It seems like parents and students and teachers all just get so much out of this model. What, is there any challenges that you've run into in the first times you did it or that, that kind of come up once in a while? One of the main challenges we have are parents who have a concern and they don't want to voice that concern in front of the child. Two options. One is, is um, I really encourage the parents, unless it is a serious concern, let's keep this as open as possible. You know, we are all learners here and we're all responsible for this student's learning together. So I really encourage as open a conversation as possible. But if they have a concern in you in third grade, we start hearing things about, um, you know, is my child able to pay attention for extended periods of time and that kind of thing. If we do have something that's a little more confidential, I will talk with them on the phone before or after the conference. I try not to step outside the room with the parent or leave the child out of any part of a conversation that night, just because I think it, it sends a message of, we're just pretending to have you as a part of this learning team. We're not really serious about it. So that's main, maybe the biggest challenge. The other one is just making sure that you are diligent about archiving that work over an extended period of time because you don't want to get behind and then try to get caught up at the end right before conferences. So Kathy, what advice would you have for, for educators trying to get this started for the first time? I would say take it slow. Do not try to do too much. Focus on archiving the pieces and plan that night as carefully as you can and invest some time right before that night in letting the kids role play and talk with each other. The more practice they have, the more comfortable they'll feel. But just be super organized, plan it in advance. And then that night, just like we talked about earlier, resist the urge to step in and have a lot of conversation. Really let those kids drive it. So listening to kids, I mean, that seems to be a nice theme we've developed, right? We got, we need to listen to them. They have a lot to say and we can learn from them and we can learn about how to support their learning if we listen. 
I think whenever we talk about student ownership of things, we, that's our, our cue to scream real loud. Yeah. It's kind of a theme throughout our podcast. But you didn't yell, you didn't yell Michael. I didn't. I didn't. I, I had to. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll get better next time. Sorry. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much, Kathy, for, for talking with us today. Oh, thank you, guys. I, I love talking about this subject. So it was a lot of fun. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Sure. So I blog at readrunteach.blogspot.com. And I'm also on Twitter at Kathy Whitehead one. So be sure to follow me and I try to share lots of good stuff. Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed the conversation and we certainly hope to uh, continue the discussion online and in other spaces. So everybody tweet Kathy, all your awesome questions you have about how to make this happen. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks guys. Thank you. So at the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. Make sure to tweet us at Visions of Ed if you're doing something creative in education or Facebook us. Is Facebook a verb? It can be. Or Facebook us because we're also there. Oh yeah. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play or really wherever you want. If you write us a five-star review, then we will read it on the air and that helps people find this podcast. So please do so. All right, we actually do have a five-star review today. This is from Former Apprentice. Hey, guys, first-year social studies teacher at Medford High School here. Hmm, who else is at Medford High School? I, my former student teacher, actually. <laughs> oh, they're a listener of the pod. Here's what, here's what your former student teacher said. I'll be honest, I was directed to this podcast, um, well, because I missed my former mentor teacher, Mr. Michael Milton. That's me. That's you. I listen to these podcasts every Sunday while I'm mapping out my week for my classes, and it's as though I'm hanging out with you guys, which is awesome because as you've mentioned in an earlier episode, sometimes as a first-year teacher, it can really feel as though you're on an island trying to juggle connecting with fellow educators and mountains of schoolwork. That's true. Michael and Dan, thanks for a great listen full of inspiration, wit, and humor. And Michael, thank you for continuing to help me grow and expand my knowledge as a teacher even months after my graduation. Joe, that was nice. That was really nice. He was a great... Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if you ever want to grab a drink sometime, you know, hit me up. Or ice cream. Or ice cream. I'll take you out. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. And if you read us a five-star review, then we will read it on the air. And please do so. Do that again. If you, what do you mean? You said if you read us.